Good morning. We really are impressed that you're here today. We got about two and a half more feet to give up before the the uh, building is compromised, but we're not going to worry about that. But uh, yeah, you know why I'm impressed? Because you're the rebels. You are the rebels because you received an emergency text message that said, stay off the roads because there was flash flooding. And what did you say? Oh no, you did not just throw that stuff at me. I am going. Jesus is Lord. Now, now all you people who are watching online, you're awesome too. <laughs> Maybe you were the smarter out of us, but yeah, we're glad you're here. Hey, let me give you a shout out too. I want you to know this. You know, we do that song up front, uh, Joy to the World. I want you to know that we got that cool little, you know, twist to it and all musically. Uh, Ricky wrote that. That's all Ricky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we don't download our sermons. We don't download our music. This is all original here at Crosstown. And that was absolutely amazing. Um, another thing. Oh, yeah, the holiday schedule coming up. So what's happening next Sunday is don't come to church in the morning but we have a two o'clock, four o'clock, and a six o'clock where we're gonna have our Christmas Eve service, and that will be great. Invite your friends, invite your family, invite your favorite atheist, whatever. I mean, I'm telling you, it's gonna be less than an hour. So even an atheist can put up with enough, about, you know, 50 minutes of God. So just bring them, be a part of that. And then on New Year's Eve, something, something, date, whatever that is, we will only have one service, and that will be at 11 o'clock. So just kind of make any notes on that. So, um, you know, we're talking about the Christmas story, and I, if you've been coming, and I'm guessing you have been coming because you wouldn't come out in the rain for the first time. Uh, if you have, that's amazing. That's awesome that you, you braved this weather to get here. Uh, but we've been talking about the Christmas story and how important it is to us, but how important it's become to me because it helps me uh, understand hope a little bit better. It helps me understand this idea that in the middle of structures, hard structures of life, that um, God can move like a ribbon that moves in the middle of difficulties of life, like structures of buildings that are hard. Um, you know, uh, Ted, we were teasing with Ted earlier today. We were joking about first service, our video stuff just, just runs just like this. But then football games begin to click off. Fantasy football lineups begin to happen. And you'll actually notice, and all of us on staff, are, we kind of fall off a little bit. And so if you notice the sermon's dragging a little bit, it was just because I just spent about 15 minutes looking at my fantasy football league there. And, and um, so, but, so this is what it looks like. This is what, how we experience life, is that it, there's hard edges, there's difficult spaces where we get caught in. And, and what we're seeing in the Christmas story is that there's this ribbon of hope that moves through all of it. There are structures of fear, uh, disappointment that we have. And a lot of us are, are like cued towards fear and disappointment. Some of us have like a leaning towards that where we're, we're just so focused on the next thing that can go wrong in our lives and we're, we're kind of locked into that. And, and some of those things are real and some of those things aren't real. I am that kind of person. And it's not just with bad things. I tend to look forward a couple steps, uh, which makes me kind of sometimes making bad choices in the present moment. And it happened today on the way to work, uh, way to church. I'm driving down Beast Ferry Road um, and so I come to a stoplight at Grand Oaks, and uh, um, so I'm there, and there's a car going into Starbucks, and there's a car next to me, and so we're at a red light, totally stopped. I gun it. 
right through the red light. I mean, oh yeah. I mean, I was like, I went, boom. And I'm all of a sudden, I'm kind of out of my body, in my body, looking at, what are you doing? I watched the light two ahead. The one at Glen McConnell and Beast Ferry, I saw that one turn green. And because I was a couple steps ahead, I forgot in the present moment that I had a red light. And so I am like, oh, dear God, thank you so much for helping me and not letting somebody else get hurt. But I shot right through that red light because I was locked in on something going on in the future. We can do that. And the worst thing is we can do it with calamity. We can do it with pain. We can do it with fear, where we're always forecasting something bad, something that can happen in our lives. And so hope is that divine relief. And in the middle of the Christmas story, you see hope move like a, like a ribbon um, in the middle of the structures of the Romans and the Jews and, and no room at the end and the difficulty of having a child without having intimacy with a man. In the middle of it, there's this divine movement that takes place, like a ribbon of purpose and meaning that flows through all the times of our lives. And so what we've learned over the last couple of weeks is that Uh, Just like in the Christmas story, divine movement is not confined by structural limitations. It's not. Whatever structural limitations you have right now in your life, divine movement is not limited. It's not limited to your marriage. It's not limited to your your physical diagnosis. It's uh, It's not limited to your addiction. It's not limited to our government. It's not limited to your personal economy. It's not limited that God can move divinely in any structure, in any situation of life. So last week, we entered into looking at a concept of hope that may be a little bit different for a lot of us. We're actually going to build on that today. But we first contrasted optimism and hope. And this is really good because um, America is pretty, we, we got a lot of little posts that you can put on Instagram and a, and a lot of things you put on Facebook about hope and about optimism and, and you know, just having a cheerful disposition towards things. And, and we looked at optimism. And optimism is this, uh, is this idea to choose to see based upon chance, probability, or temperament on how things could work out. Okay, so it's kind of this idea of, you know, a, a, an emotional decision that I make or a decision of temperament that I make Maybe not based upon facts. Maybe not based upon reality at all. Maybe you just have a temperament where you're just kind of the glass is half full all the time. But optimism is this idea that, well, it all could work out type of mentality. But biblical hope is different. And it doesn't focus on the circumstance of everything working out. But rather, hope is a choice to live within the tension of life within the tension of waiting for God to bring about the best of all futures, to bring about the fulfillment of his promises. That's what hope is. Hope finds its strength in the middle of the tension. Optimism is looking for maybe the tension to be removed by some sort of force. But hope is different. It finds strength in the midst of the tension of time. And it's, and it's a choice that we make. Now, I'm a... I'm a kind of highly analytical person in my head. It doesn't make me intellectual. It just, it's the way my brain functions. And so it's very important to me to put together um, 
the structure of thought, and there's fancy words for it. It's a big word. It's called epistemology. It's kind of how you think about things, how you gather data, and then how you frame it into a worldview or uh, this structure of thought in your life. And so for me, I'm not, a, I'm not an optimist by any stretch of the imagination. You know, I'm, that's not me at all. I, I don't have a disposition towards everything's going to work out. Um, and, and so that's not me. But where I am, I'm in the place of putting together a structure of thinking, this idea of making a choice, making a choice to live in the tension based upon what you know is true. And so I've done the work of figuring out philosophically, does it make sense to trust God? Um, in, as a result of history and science, and when I bring all these kinds of knowings, ways I know things like you and I have, and then experience, when I gather them all together and, and I put it together, I create this like ideological framework. And the Bible does talk about right right thinking. It talks about being renewed in the spirit of your mind, the way that you put things together, the way that you add things together. So you can be functioning in optimism, then there's biblical hope, and this biblical hope is this framework of thinking. But then the apostle Peter takes people like me and maybe you, and he challenges us to another level of hope. It's not just ideological. It's not like back in the old days, and some of the folks who were over 60 will realize there was this show called Dragnet. And there was this guy named uh, Jack Webb. And uh, I think he was like uh, Detective Friday. And he would always say, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. And I've gathered all the facts together. And as a result of it, have created a framework of thinking. And so in hard times, I have this framework of thinking. When other people may be panicking, I have this framework of thinking. But the problem of it is that it's predicated on me thinking rationally. And then there are times in my life where I'm being irrational. There are times when you're overwhelmed with pain or disappointment or rejection or loss or addiction when you're not always thinking clearly. And so the apostle Peter tells us about this thing called a living hope. Listen to it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, this is more than just right thinking because I am a right thinker. I'll put my right thinking up against just about anybody, philosophically, theologically, and all the other ologies that are out there. I do think well, but I have found that even thinking well is not enough. It's not enough. And that there are some times when I don't think well. Have you ever been a point where the pain is so bad? Have you ever been a point where the grief is so heavy? Have you ever been to the point where the, your internal dysfunctions and the way that you think are just so depressing that you just can't think right? Well, the, God offers us something better, something kind of it cascades into this from right think, but even better, it's this thing called a living hope. Now, that's where I get a kind of, you know, nervous about the Christian faith. Because I like, I like data, I like stuff I can observe, I like measurables, 
I like controlling. Uh, um, I like being able to predict everything. But then Peter takes us and says, listen, there is something beyond just right biblical thinking. It's called a living hope. So when I saw the word living, here's what I do. When I see the word living, the word living was intentional. And, and it's what God gave us. And he says it's a living hope, not just hope. So I import what I know about the concept of living because that's what the scriptures are doing. It's like, he could have just said, God has given us a hope. He didn't say that. He said he's given us a living hope. So what I do, because I'm a little uh, crazy in my brain, is like, well, what does living mean? What, what do you want me to import into this? And so with the help of my daughter, who is a high school biology teacher, she put together for me the six characteristics that scientists use to determine if something is living. Now, this doesn't matter if it's in the bottom of the ocean or if it's on the surface of Mars. Now, there are some scientists that will say that there's eight characteristics, but give me a little break today. Uh, let's just work with high school um, biology at this point in that there are six characteristics of things that are living. And you say, well, why are we going into this? It's because I want to read living right in the Bible. When he said living hope, I want to import what he meant. I'm not just going to pass over it because it's like Hallmark didn't write living hope. God wrote living hope and God knows living. So I want to know what living means. So, so he, he gave us biology that declares the wonders of God. So here's six characteristics. All, and let me just say, these are dumbed down. Uh, I didn't want to get into homo, uh, homostasis and all that other stuff. So I, these are dumbed down for you and me. All living things are made up of cells. All living things consume energy. All living things reproduce. All living things respond to their environment. All living things adapt to their environment. And all living things grow. So now, I don't know if you heard, as I kind of went with the list, it sounds like these can be the characteristics of hope. And I'm pretty sure that the Apostle Paul didn't have these six characteristics labeled in his head when he wrote this but they deepen our understanding of what living hope is beyond our static religious usage. Well, I hope it works out. I mean, for a lot of us, we use the word hope. We're really meaning wish. You know, uh, we, 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 we tend to use it in a very kind of like, well, good luck. You know, I hope you have a good chance of doing it. You know, and we kind of put it in that. But what we're getting from Peter is that, no, this isn't just something you post on Instagram in a little post about the word hope. He's talking about this idea of living that is characteristic of everything that lives on planet Earth. You know, um, so I took, a, took that list and then I correlated it to hope. Living hope has design, just like the cells, from God, of God. Living hope receives empowerment from God. Living hope brings purpose and meaning. Living hope brings stability during unstable times. Living hope grows confidence and joy. Living hope reproduces in our lives and in the lives of other people. See, because if it's a living hope, I must be able to correlate this to things that live. God chose the word living so therefore, we're implying this. So when you look at that list, 
Why are we living on optimism? Optimism doesn't have any of that. Why are we appealing to luck? Why are we appealing to ourselves to make out make things work out perfectly in our lives? But living hope is something that is dynamic and it's moving and it's so much more than optimism. So I know some of you are like, okay, and maybe there's one of two of you that are out there like me. It's like, Paul, are you saying that there's a living organism inside of me called hope? Okay, I mean, uh, for me, when I visualize that, I always visualize like, the Sigourney Weaver movie and all of a sudden that, that little head. Anybody else seen this movie? Please tell me somebody else has seen Yeah, yeah, and all of a sudden it comes out. Rah! You know, there is no living organism living inside of you. But here's the point I want to make. You think that's the highest form of life, okay? There is something that has all the definitions of a living organism, but is greater than a living organism because Hope has all the characteristics and the power of an organism, but it rests in the very life of God. So, at, so to say you have a living organism in you would be to actually dummy hope down. Living resurrection hope, because that's what Peter said, has already demonstrated power over the organic through the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. So this is a living hope, not in earth terms, but superseded by that in God's terms. See, this is is big. Living hope is greater than cellular life. Peter uses a word, and we get the the girl's name Zoe from it. Um, And it's a word that means this. I want you you to use this definition and compare it to what kind of hope you have today or wishing, or framework. You know, maybe you've got a good argument. Maybe you're like me. And I can argue with people about the, the existence of God from a cosmological standpoint. I mean, I'm real good at that. But, but maybe you can do that. You have a framework of thinking that's right, but you don't really have living hope. Listen to what it is. To live, to breathe, to be among the living, not to be lifeless or dead, to be full of vigor, to be fresh, strong, efficient, active, powerful, uh, effectual. This is what Peter's talking about. This is not somebody drolly singing, faith of my father's holy faith. This is not the recitation of an ancient creed as right as those creeds are. This is a vibrant, vigorous, fresh, effectual hope that lives in you because it's been born again in you through the power and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Boy, can you see how small optimism is? I mean, optimism, like I said last week, use it for the weather. I hope it's sunny on Christmas. I hope it snows on Christmas. I have no reason to think it will but I can always be optimistic that it's going to. But that's not how God has called us to live our lives. It's not just a framework of thinking. It's actually the power of the Holy Spirit in each and every one of us. So the the Christmas story has this incredible little story narrative about living hope that just blew me away this week. I mean, 
I, I it really, I've read this story a thousand times like you, and, and this caught me afresh. Mary has just had her encounter with the angel of the Lord, who has just told her that she's going to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit and then she's going to give birth to Jesus. And she wholeheartedly receives this hope and promise. So she grabs a hold of this idea. And after these events, she journeys to her cousin Elizabeth's house with excitement. Okay, so the Lord said he's going to do these things, and he, you know, uh, and, and then um, after that moment has passed, now she's excited and she's going to go to Elizabeth's house. Now, this is the Elizabeth who was called barren, but now is six months pregnant with John the Baptist, also because of God's intervention. You know, I, I, the phrase being called barren, I, for a couple of weeks now, I've, I've kind of felt like it was kind of rude. You know, this is one of these phrases that people who are anti-Bibleist would say, well, this is a real masculine, um, cynical, chauvinist way to describe a woman. Um, but here's the interesting thing. I've actually found that this might be a stronger statement that would come from a woman who can't have a child. Because I have found that women are harder on themselves than the men are on them on this particular issue. And so I'm kind of like, why would you use such a, almost a crass, insensitive word? Because I really believe God wanted us to get to like, when it gets down to it, when it gets down to it, when it gets down to it, the real thing about who you are. And, and, and I believe this is one of those statements. But also I notice this. We're about to have Elizabeth show up, who is called barren. And we're about to have Mary show up, who is called what? Virgin. Both of these are in impossible places. You know, have you ever heard the philosophical argument, somebody will try to give you it, it's so weak. I can't go into it right now, but it's so weak. They'll say, can God make a rock that's so big that he can't lift it? You know, and it, it's a stupid argument, but it's the idea to throw you off. Whoa, I don't believe in God anymore because you tricked me with an incredible statement like that. It's ridiculous. But the point is this, that these are both rocks that Mary and Elizabeth can't lift. Elizabeth can't fix her situation and neither can Mary. They're both impossible. They're both rocks that they can't lift. And it's crazy. These two people are about to come together. That's amazing. These two people are about to come together because Mary, Elizabeth was living in that place of unfulfillment and Mary was living in that place of impossibility. And they're brought together. But I want you to hear in the midst of this what God has done in their lives. That it, the language that comes out of this is is definitely not hopeless. Now at the time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country. I love that. Just don't miss the fact that she went in a hurry. You know, okay? <laughs> don't miss it. I, I'm sure she looked better doing it. Happy feet. I'm talking about happy feet. When was the last time you had happy feet? I mean, feet that were like excited about what God was doing in your life. Okay? Most of us are like, well, you know, I'm just going to trust the Lord. And we drag ourselves to our complaints 
And, you know, we got this rock so big that God can't lift it on our backs. And we just drag our feet. But, but Mary's in the middle of all the impossible. And it says, and Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country. You know, because there's something about hope that changes the tempo of your life. That quickens your step. That changes your conversations. The way that you're traveling through life is altered when hope is conceived in your soul. So it goes on, it says, so she hurried to the hill country to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, get this. I mean, this is crazy. When, Mary, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out, Elizabeth cried out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how is it that it has happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. Remember we said that a cell has the ability to reproduce and to adapt to a new environment. This is exactly what we're seeing here. Living, adapting, and changing, and altering the environment. We have Elizabeth's disposition. I mean, she, Mary could have freaked out. I mean, I don't know what kind of temperament Elizabeth had, but all we know, it says that she cried out with a loud voice. We can't even get people to do that on a Sunday morning. But something was brewing inside of Elizabeth's life that all she had to do was hear Mary's voice and all of a sudden, she's freaking. She is, this joy in her, this living hope begins to just pour out of her. But we're actually told that when this, at the sound of the greeting, the child inside of her leaped with joy. That's so, that a child would be so cognizant in the womb that it would know the prospect of hope. And the Holy Spirit just worked in this, even in this child, and this child's leaping. And, and so for me, I kind of see like what's going on in Mary and what's going on in Elizabeth and he's represented by these children as, as hope. Is this new thing that God is doing, lifting the rock that nobody thought could be moved, all of a sudden being moved inside of them, and that the child leaps. Where there was barrenness and silence, it's not just, now there's not just movement, okay? It's not just like God put furniture in there. It's like, no, where there was barrenness, where there was silence, where there was no movement, there is now leaping. I mean, that's, that's more than thinking right, isn't it? I'm over here trying to figure out the cosmological reason for non-existence and why does anything exist if anything exists and, and all this other stuff and figuring out the Dead Sea Scrolls and how they impact the historical evidence to support Jesus. And I'm putting together my, uh, you know, um, whatever they call it, apologist type of framework in systematic theology and why do we baptize and, and why do we do this and why do we do that and all that. This blows that all out of the water. I never looked at a theological proposition and started leaping before. Okay, I never like, oh my goodness, 
you know? Jesus is God, you know? The Trinity, the hypostatic union. I can't believe it. No. Okay, and that is, that is all real. And that does have a framework of right thinking. But this is living hope. This woman's... This woman is just so alive. But here's the part that I think is amazing. When did it all happen? When the presence of Christ is near, hope leaps. So if you're here today and you have no hope, I will have to push back on you and ask you this question, is Jesus near? Because when Jesus was brought near to Elizabeth, I'm not talking about earshot. Not even in the house, not even standing next to her. When I heard the greeting from the woman who's carrying Jesus, talk about it. You know, it's amazing that the hope in another person can affect the hope in you. I mean, it's kind of like, like, like Jesus is Emmanuel, the hope, and then Elizabeth has a hope, and it's like, you know, it's kind of like, we're, well, I was thinking about it. These two hopes resonate. Why? Well, in the story, guess what? They're cousins. So they are already DNA connected. And, but also from a kind of a, 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 you know, a metaphor, it's like the hope in you is related to the hope in somebody else. The hope that is Christ is related to the hope that's in you. It's related to it. It is born from the same DNA. It is born from God. That's why you need to be around hopeful people. Screw the, I'm sorry. Forget the optimistic people, okay? I can't stand Pollyanna optimism. Oh, you're going to be okay, Pastor Paul. It's like, it's just a bruise. It's just a tumor on the side of your head. You're going to be okay. And it's like, no. But when you get around people who have born within them the hope of God through the resurrection, through the born again in them, and when they speak into your life, it will begin to resonate with the cousin hope in you through Christ. And all of a sudden, we, we, we got a lot of leaping going on in here. See, because hope, like anything else living, reproduces. It's our sixth characteristic. You know, maybe you've been telling your kids about Jesus for 35 years, and you sent them book after book after book. Isn't that right? Book after book. <laughs> I like Hugh. He looks at me like I'm crazy. And I love that. But, so you might be, I'll tell you what, you start living around them with a living hope, maybe, maybe it will do something inside of them. Most of the time, a, a good argument doesn't do it. Nobody wants to argue with me. I am so ready to argue with you. I am. If you're an atheist out here and you really want an answer, I am your guy. Bring it. But I know this, that won't do it for you because you can just dismiss me. You can dismiss my argument. But a living hope, being around people who have living hope, it's hard to shut them up and it's hard to prove them wrong and it's hard to go long before you want what they've got. And so this is what's going on, this amazing story. So Elizabeth keeps talking, speaking to Mary. I don't know, it'd be great if Elizabeth was an introvert, and this is like her most, most she's talked in like six years, you know? It's definitely probably the loudest she's talked in six years. 
And so she says, and blessed is she who believes that there would be a fulfillment of what has been spoken to her by the Lord. Now, I think this is interesting because here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say blessed is she to whom it was spoken. It says blessed is she who believed what was spoken. That's hope. And there is no person in this room here that God hasn't spoken over the hope of heaven. Come unto me, all you are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God has spoken every, but that's not what makes us blessed. Sure, it takes us a little bit of the way, but that's not what makes you blessed. What makes you blessed is what made Mary blessed, is that she was willing to believe that that which, which was promised was going to be fulfilled. That's living hope in her life. So I, I again, um, uh, I've had, I've raised all daughters, so I have seen moments like this where sisters, 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 I've seen it when they're all together and they're, they're just like, uh, I mean, it's like this thing goes on. I, mean, I don't know what it is, but it's like, ah! You know, and like when they all arrive, they're counting down to when all the other girls are going to arrive and, and it starts and there'll be, there'll be this hope, there'll be this leaping that's going on. Well, this is going on in this scene. Mary responds to describe what's going on inside of her. Mary is also overwhelmed with hope and joy and the joy that comes out of hope. It's the offspring of hope is joy. And so listen to what's, so Elizabeth has just yelled out, made a, made, a, made a fool out of herself in front of the world, which is great, which is awesome, because she's so invigorated by this hope. Mary responds. And don't, don't you think, if you're a Catholic like me, we tend to think, uh, you know, Mary was Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for sinners now at the hour of our death, amen, and that she was probably really just chill and all this stuff. Well, she's about to have a super chill moment. Okay, listen to what she responds. And Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has regarded, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. Don't you think for a second that she's not shouting this out. She's matching what Elizabeth is doing. This is a, this is a hope, joy moment taking place. I love what she says. My soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior. Here's what she didn't say, because it says, because the Lord has regarded me in the state of my humility, her humbleness, her poverty, her small house, her old husband, the little town that she comes from, Nazareth, which is the wrong city on the wrong side of the wrong tracks. He said, God has, has, has regard for me in my humility. Here's what God didn't do. He did not change her financial picture. She left there still poor. She didn't all of a sudden move to Daniel Island. 
Nothing wrong with Dandelion Island, but you know, it's, it's pretty nice over there. She didn't all of a sudden get God and all of a sudden, you know, get Tesla, you know, and all of a sudden is driving an EV and all these other, I mean, she's not all of a sudden, God's not changing all that. It's just like, she's like, I have joy in my God, not in my changed financial situation. It's like, wow, that's real hope. It's like, you mean you're still going to live under Roman oppression? Yes. You mean you're still going to live, you're still going to be chased for five years by Herod, you know, to try to kill your baby? Yes. And you're exalting? Yes. Why? Because I don't have optimism. I have hope that's planted in God. I have I exalt the Lord God, my Savior, for he has done great things for me in the midst of my humility. Do you know that God's done great things for you? I mean, that's what that cross is over there. Why aren't we excited about it? Why do so many nominal things and experiences get us off course? Ah, crap. I need a new transmission. Now, that's what I get for paying tithe. That's what I get. I give a gift to the church, and you would have think God would at least fix my car for me. And it's like, wow, that's all it took, huh? Just a little, little nudge like that, and, and joy is gone. And so Mary, in the middle of her humility, in the middle of her humbleness, exalts the Lord. Living hope, let me read it to you again. The six characteristics. Living hope has designed from God, and it is of God. Living hope receives empowerment from God. You can't muster this up. You got to stop thinking, I'll do this myself. I'll fix it myself. I'll be better. I can handle this. No, this is a rock that only God can lift. Living hope brings purpose and meaning. Living hope brings stability during unstable times. Living hope grows confidence and joy. Living hope reproduces in our lives and in the lives of other people. And so you may be here today and you're like, where's my hope? Well, let me just say this. Stop looking for optimism. You may have it totally confused. Bring Jesus near and believe the word that has been spoken. It's not enough that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. That word has been spoken. The word became flesh. Now it's time for us to believe what has been spoken. You know, in my life, I, this is the hardest part of Christianity. I love the argument side of Christianity. Love it. You know, proving philosophically or scientifically, taking all that data stuff and putting it all together. But I can tell you, I have had times in my life when I was in so much pain, I could not handle, I could not even hear the answer to the questions I had asked because pain was louder. Misery was louder. Depression had the ability to silence all my nice, neat, epistemological answers. I couldn't hear a one. And there have been times in my life 
where I have like, God, I have got to have you. I can't lift this rock. My good answers don't lift this rock. My optimism can't lift this rock. And every single time, and I, I cannot tell you, I mean, I wish I could offer some sort of vow that would prove this to you. But every time I have asked God to fill me with the presence of the Spirit of God, with the DNA of eternal living hope, I cannot explain it, but it's happened. There's a leaping that comes when you bring Jesus near. And God knows you've tried hard to make life work. God knows that you're trying to be a good person, good moral person. God knows it. And God is like, listen, I'm just asking you to bring me near. Bring Jesus near. For some of you, you're under the rock of a failure of your life. You think, yeah, God forgave that, God forgave this, but he's not forgiven this. This was too bad. This rock, I have to live it. I have to live with this for the rest of my life because I did this. And God is like, hold on now. No rock has been made that I can't lift. Just bring Jesus near. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and your mercy and kindness to us. Because you can fill a barren heart with your word if we will believe it and you can cause hope to spring forth. And so Father, some of us here, we've been doing church and we have a framework of tradition. Some of us here, we believe in God. But God, hope is encountered when we believe God. When we bring Jesus near. So Father, your promises have already been spoken to us. There is no new word. There is no greater word that is coming out of heaven than the word that has already been spoken, the word that has already died, the word that has already risen, the word by which we are born again. And so Father God, today as we take the bread and the cup, we do not do so because it represents a good argument or a good tradition. But God, it is a statement of our souls that we are bringing Jesus near. God, my soul does long for the land of the living, the land of not those who just breathe, but those who leap. God, today we ask as we draw close to you that you would stir a leaping of hope and joy in our souls. Whether our, the soil of our heart is that which has known no intimacy or it is the soul that has known intimacy but has brought forth no life. Today, God, you can lift both rocks. Today, you give us your joy. 
And some of you here are heavy with grief. And I don't know particularly where the grief is coming from. I don't know if it's something you've done. The grief of losing a loved one, a mistake, a choice that you've made. The grief of pain. But the prophet Nehemiah was surrounded by a people who were just weeping under the grief of their mistakes. And he didn't say to them, get a better argument, get better data, do better. He said this, do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So Father God, we, we draw near to Jesus because in the presence of Jesus, there is joy and hope everlasting.